Okay, last session. And after this, you guys will be absolutely parenting champions, right? Thank you. Okay. Um, Let me just go ahead and jump right into the material. Uh, It's in session three in your your notebook there. I want to start off talking about self-esteem versus self-worth. When I first heard these phrases, I thought, well, aren't they basically the same thing? No. Now, self-esteem is simply defined as your child feeling good about himself or herself. Doesn't have anything to do with any accomplishments or having done anything. That's that's the kind of society that we're living in today where everybody gets a participation award. uh, Where you have... um, And and it's really fairly easy to achieve. All you have to do is say yes to your child all the time. And they will feel very good about themselves. However, the hedonistic little sucker will grow up to be a big hedonistic sucker. (laughs) And will definitely not travel anywhere from here to there. And that's not what we're looking for. Um, But to build self-worth your child actually has to accomplish something. And and you can help them to build self-worth by setting realistic but high standards. Yesterday when I was talking about, or maybe, excuse me, uh, Thursday night, about the definition of obedience. And and I challenged that that it's the parent's job to train your children to obey, and that's instant, complete, without arguing, without whining. That's a high standard. We drilled that into our children. We had them repeat that back to us. We asked them that all the time to, to just reinforce that. But that was the standard. And if you hold them to a higher standard, they will grow up to it. They will reach up to it. They will not reach up past the standard that you set. For example, counting. Now, I'm not picking on counting, and I had this in my notes before yesterday's reaction to no more counting. But, but when you count, the standard you set is it's okay for you not to remember. In fact, you don't have to remember until within the time frame that I allow myself to remind you. And that's just not setting a very high standard, and the children won't learn when you don't set a high standard. It's okay that initially your children will fail at the standards. That's okay. Give them another chance. Give them another chance. Give them another chance. Encourage them along the way, but be consistent with the, with the discipline. Now, part of the skill of parenting, and this is, a, this is one of those... Um, tough, tough areas to discern is where do you draw the line? When do you step in and rescue a drowning child? And when do you let consequences play out? And and I'll, I'll be honest, there is no hard, fast set guidelines other than I encourage you to find a balance. You can't live in one end or the other all the time. You can't always be rescuing your children. You can't always be letting the the consequences hit. Sometimes you need to 
step in and sometimes you need to have hands off. And it's a delicate balancing act. Now, one of the questions that comes up sometimes, well, if I'm always disciplining my children, if I'm holding them to high standards, if they can't reach them, won't my child be unhappy? And Dr. Lehman and I would say, uh, there's nothing wrong with an unhappy child. Now, yes, would I like for my children to be happy? Mm-hmm. But that's maybe third, fourth, or fifth down on the priority list. I want them to learn to obey. I want them to show respect. I want them to learn through natural consequences. And, oh, if after that they're happy, then, then that's fine with me. But I feel that there are some things that are a higher priority than my child's happiness because an unhappy child really is a healthy child because a happy child has no incentive to change. And, and while my children were living here or anywhere between here and there, I still wanted some change. Until they reached there, I still wanted some change. And so if they were unhappy for a little bit, well, that was their problem, not mine. Now, by nature, between the the two extremes, a permissive parent and a military parent, I wasn't exactly a drill sergeant parent, but I definitely was more on the military side than the permissive side. It it really didn't bother me if my child wasn't happy because I I figured he'll get over it, she'll get over it. But I I felt that the training was more important, and so that's that's what I put the emphasis on. Um, and, And so... I think it's okay, particularly if, if you're a permissive parent, if you're leaning more that way to realize it's okay for your children to be unhappy because that's their motivation to do things differently, to change. Now, given that, that we've got a, an audience with overall average-wise you know, younger children, peer pressure is something that uh, I know as our children were, were getting older, that was a huge concern to my wife and myself. And there are things that we can do as parents to peer-proof your children. And that's the, in fact, that's the, the title of today's message. Lesson is you can peer-proof your children. And it, it comes when you can apply three pillars of self-worth. So I said self-worth doesn't come from things happening easily for your child, but they come through your children accomplishing things. And, and it's just a group of ABCs. The A, first fill in your blank your notes this morning, is acceptance. Acceptance. You need to accept your children 100% unconditionally all of the time. Doesn't mean you approve of their behavior. Doesn't mean you like them all the time. But you accept them no matter what. Uh, your children long for your approval. They absolutely love it. And they will live up to, as I said, your expectations. Um, if, especially your problem child, your strong will child. Um, be careful not to be a bone digger with them. What I mean by that is be careful bringing up negative history from the past because you, you want your relationship with your children to be more of the positive end than, than the negative side. 
Um, but that unconditional acceptance will go a long way towards peer-proofing your children because uh, the peers of your child, they can give your child unconditional acceptance. You've got a choice whether you, you do or not. Someone else will. I, I can guarantee you somewhere along the way, uh, someone will unconditionally accept your child. It's to your advantage if you unconditionally accept your child and you're providing everything else for them. So you, you can provide what the peers provide, that unconditional acceptance, plus food, clothing, shelter, fun at home. You, you can provide everything else. You can provide so much more than the peers can. Just don't let up on the unconditional acceptance. Um, as I mentioned, there will be times when you will not like a child. Can everybody agree with that? Okay. Uh, happened often and repeatedly with our four children. That's just the nature of, of, of parenting. You know, until they're living there, as long as they're doing things that look like here, you won't like them. You won't like their behavior. But I would often and repeatedly use verbiage like, you know, I'm really glad you're a part of the family. You know, I did not like what you just did. What you just said was unacceptable, but you are acceptable. I'm glad you're a part of the family. I'm glad to be your parent. You know, verbalize that all the time, the unconditional acceptance, and especially sometimes when you're disciplining them. Let them know that... that uh, that you love them and care for them, even if, but I really don't like you right now. I really don't like how you're acting. I really don't like your attitude, but I accept you. And you know what? Whether you like it or not, you're stuck with me. <laughs> and, and another thing that, uh, as you can tell, sometimes I, I like to turn things around. Well, whenever they were complaining about uh, their mom or, or, or myself, I say, well, it's your fault because you picked us out. Uh, you picked it. Of all the parents that you could have uh, chosen to be born to, you picked us, uh, us out. So don't blame us. It's your fault. You know, what can they say? Uh, they, they tried to come up with something else. But it's just that idea of unconditionally accepting them. The second one, the, the B, is, is somewhat similar to that, and that's belonging. Belonging. And your every child needs to belong somewhere. What do they say about gangs? Their popularity with, with uh, gang members is it was a place to belong to. Well, we've got the first shot at creating an environment where our children can belong. And, and so, one of the the um, uh, I don't, priority is not the word, word, but that's the only word that's coming to my mind right now. But ju- just the thoughts that, that Peg and I had was we decided early on we wanted to make our home a fun home. We wanted home to be a fun place for our children. Now, when our oldest was, how old was Tim when we moved? Six, six and a half, six, four, six, two. Yeah, because, yeah, Dan, Dan had just been born. Um, when our oldest child was six and a half, we bought uh, a vacant lot, um, hired a company to, to build a, uh, a modular home, built it down in uh, 
uh, Indiana. It took him a week to do that, shipped it up, dropped it on the foundation, finished it up a week, and, and we moved in. So we moved in, and we had nothing outside the house. We had no landscaping. We had no grass. We had no driveway. We, we just, it was, it was, and so we had a lot of continued construction that we needed to do. The very first thing that we did was we built a playscape for the boys. Second thing we did was we had a, a garage sale. Um, sold a lot of uh, baby clothes, excess baby clothes, and used the money to buy a trampoline. Because one thing we had found out about uh, boys was that they are high energy. And, and we just, and, and so it, it was funny because, you know, the, by not planting anything in the, uh, the yard, you know, weeds started coming up and, and uh, you know, I didn't even bother cutting it. We just, just did things beyond where the, the yard was going to go. Um, one thing that we did with the trampoline that, that uh, we had seen at someone else's house that we absolutely are thrilled that we did was uh, there was a man in the church that we were part of that had a backhoe, uh, had a side business where he, he did uh, use that sort of things. So we hired him to dig a hole in the ground. And then we dropped the trampoline in the, the hole so that the mat was level with the ground. Oh. And, and so far, having that in, what, 25-plus years, three different mattresses, we've never had an uh, injury, and it saved my bacon <laughs> one time in particular. Um, but we, we just, you know, over the years, um, we started saving up money. Um, and one year, we had enough money saved up that we were able to, to buy a pool above-ground pool and threw that in the backyard. And then we started another fund, and, and we're saving money. And a few years later, we were able to buy a hot tub. Um, and, and the whole time we were thinking, we want to make home a fun place so that, one, the children growing up will enjoy being there and will enjoy inviting their friends to come over. But, two, once we launch them and they get married and have grandchildren, we want mom and dad's place to be a fun place for the grandchildren to come so that they'd want to, to come back. Um, because remember, the, the most important thing about parenting is the relationship with a child. Yes, majoring on wanting to take them from here to there, majoring on discipline, but not above the, the relationship. Um, now, it, it, it's interesting the personality of your children. Those of you with, with multiple children, you know that, that from child A to child B, they, they got, I mean, I mean our, our first child, somewhat similar to, to, to me in some forms of personality, and, and child number two was completely different from, from him. And then child number three came along, and he was nothing like either Peg or myself. And so sometimes it's a challenge if you're, say, an athletically-minded parent and you get a musically-gifted child or vice versa. You know, you're you're an uh, uh, intellectual-style, you know, educational-minded parent and you get a, uh, a 
child that, that's just more mechanically minded. You know, you can pick your friends and you pick your friends based on preferences and styles and similarities. But you don't get to pick your kids and their personalities. Uh, for example, uh, our number two son does not like chocolate. Not allergic to it, does not like the taste of it. I can't believe that he was born by my wife. She loves chocolate. I like chocolate. And this is just an example of what you can do when you've got a child that's different, that doesn't fit into the mold. And it it sounds like, well, that's no big deal. Well, except it is. Because every time that we had any activity over at our house where there was food involved and there was dessert involved, there had to be a non-chocolate dessert. If we went somewhere, and it was was a covered dish potluck uh, ordeal, Peggy would always bring the non-chocolate dessert. Our son grew up, everywhere he went to that we were a part of, there was a non-chocolate dessert. So he always felt like he belonged. Now, his older brother got him good one Christmas because um, in addition to Christmas M&Ms, Peg would also have Christmas Skittles out so that David would feel like he belonged. And one year, and this was probably, what, into their teens, uh, our oldest son took one M&M and stuck it in the Skittles dish and then just waited and waited and waited. And one time David came by, just scooped a handful of Skittles, threw it in his mouth and kept right on going and all of a sudden stopped screamed, went run into the sink, spit it all out. Um, and, and I didn't know what was going on until I saw our first son rolling on the floor laughing. <laughs> uh, but if you have a child that's, that's different, do what you can to make them feel like they belong, that they're a part of the family. And the unconditional acceptance can go hand in hand with that. Another example, our, our daughter, um, we, we've got three sons and one daughter. And as our daughter was, was growing up, our, our sons with great regularity would, would ask Peg, what's wrong with Jess? And she'd say, uh, nothing. She's just a girl. You know, don't worry about it. And she was different. It's okay. She still belonged. Uh, although she would, she would say, yes, she was definitely infected growing up in a family with three brothers. Uh, much more adventurous than she might have been otherwise, but she can run and play and, and loves adventure as much as any of the, the, the family does. Uh, belonging. Okay. Acceptance, belonging. C, competence. Your child doesn't flourish when you do everything for them but they develop true self-worth when they complete a challenging task. 
And you can empower your children by giving them responsibility, looking for tasks that they can accomplish, especially ones that stretch them just a little bit. And if they fail, that's part of their growth experience. That's part of their learning experience. And it's good for them to fail while they're still at home with mom and dad that you can help them work through that. Uh, you don't want a child to be launched out in the world never having faced failure, never having to, to, to figure out what went wrong and, and to figure out what I've got to do different next time because that, that's just a part of life. And that's part of learning how to, how to grow. Um, one summer, uh, I hired one of my sons to do the digging for a brick paver sidewalk. And what he had to do for that was he had to dig down six inches into the, the, the ground after the sod was taken. I had to take the sod off, then dig six more inches down, uh, about three feet wide, 15 feet long. This was not a one afternoon job for him. It took him a good part of a month to, to get it all done. And th- this was our, our child that specialized in partial obedience. Um, but he, he, he did a great job as far as he got it down far enough and, and he was working on it. Now, the, the town that we live in, the area that we live in, it is known as the gravel capital of the United States. That literally is our biggest export, is gravel. Our, our ground is basically made up of sand, rocks, and gravel. And in the first 18 inches, more rocks than sand and gravel. Uh, I've dug enough uh, holes for posts to find out that after you get 16, 18 inches down in the ground, you're through with the rocks. After that, it's just dirt. But the top surface is hard to dig into. Uh, I ended up giving him a, a pickaxe to use to loosen the soil. And, and he was using that a lot to, to loosen it up and, and to, to get everything done. And I really was quite pleased with the job that he did. He did a really good job. I did make one minor miscalculation. The sprinkler systems that I had put in earlier, about 15 years earlier, went right through that area. But it was below all of that, so they were out of sight, out of mind, but they were not out of reach of the pickaxe. And by the time he got done... uh, You know, the, 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 the sprinklers weren't pushing as much water through as, as they used to. And I, I looked at that area, and there was some water seeping through, and so I dug down a little bit more. Now, I hadn't warned him about that. I hadn't told him about that, so I didn't think that was his responsibility to fix. And so the six lines, he had put about ten holes in them. And all of them just, just you know, the, the, the prick. Uh, you know, exact diameter of the end of the pitchfork. Um, but I thought, well, okay, that's a learning experience for me that I didn't warn him about that. And he had done such a good job on the rest of it that I went ahead and did the job of repairing the, the lines. Um, but I, I was giving him a chance to do a job to, to be competent in something. 
and he, he really came through and did a great job with that. Um, let's talk about choices some, because this is a, it's a very important area, and, and about, depending upon how many choices you give your child, is going to depend on your personality and your parenting style, and it very closely mirrors the, um, the question whether you're a more military-style parent or a permissive-style parent. Because if you're more leaning towards a permissive style, then you're going to have a tendency to give too many choices. The uh, fill-in-blank there is many. And if you're a military-style parent, your tendency is going to give too few choices. Now, the problem with giving too many is that if you give too many choices um, and your child's not mature enough to handle it, they can kind of spiral out of control and they really don't have the maturity to, to, to handle it. It really can make a difference. And so one of the things I'm going to suggest is that if your children are just sort of in, in, a, in a constant mode of misbehaving, reevaluate how many choices you're giving them and see if you can pull back on some of the choices. Whereas the, the other, um, if you're giving them too few choices, then you're not giving them a chance to do the C in the ABCs of self-worth, and that's the competence. Because when, when you make all the decisions for the child, you're basically, the message you're giving them, whether you mean to or not, is that you're so incompetent, you can't make the right choices, I'm going to make the choices for you. And, and when you give away the, the choices and, and you let the child have too many choices, you can end up giving away parenting leverage as well. I alluded to this the other day when I was talking about cell phones. And, and we've got a number of children in here that do not have cell phones yet. Um, and, and so that makes it a little bit easier but in the area of, of cell phones, probably between now and the time your child reaches the age of 18, they will have a cell phone. Maybe not, but I, I'm just, you know, in today's society, I mean, there are some schools that um, they need that electronic device in order to get their homework and, and, and some other things. Um, so just based on the assumption that most children will end up with a cell phone, the question I have to ask is, who's going to pay for that? The child? Probably not. Mom and dad? Probably. We did for, well, maybe not, okay. You know, it's your choice. But if you do choose to pay for it, realize you own that baby. And it's not a, a right that they have to have that cell phone. You can set, and even if they pay for it, if they're still living at home, you can set the standards. You can set where it can be used, when it can be used, whether it goes into their room overnight or not, or whether there's a collection spot that at some time in the evening, 8, 9 o'clock at night, that's where all the cell phones go. The parents have the choice on that. And, and if you keep it a little bit tighter, 
then you've got some parenting leverage. And it, you can loosen things up at different times. But if the child doesn't handle it well, then you can tighten that back up. It's a, you know, having a cell phone, having use of a cell phone can be a privilege that can be lost. How about clothing? At the young age, you're buying all the clothes for them. And at a certain age, they really don't even care. Now, it can happen at a very early age. Our daughter, when, by the time she turned five, she was dressing herself in the morning. She had a very strong opinion about what she was going to wear that day. Um, we thought that was young until the uh, granddaughter that, uh, that Peg Nanny's for, that is about two and a half, she will get herself, she will pick out her own clothes, and then she will pick out her baby sister's clothes. But she's a granddaughter, so that's cute. <laughs> but for all of you that have a preschool age girl in particular, let's pick on the, the, the young girls, at some time, before she turns 21, she is going to go clothes shopping for the first time on her own and maybe with her own money. And that can be a scary thought. What is she going to purchase? Is it going to be appropriate? Is it going to meet our standards of modesty? Well, I think it's okay as a parent to, to set this standard. You can buy anything you want to with your money. You can't buy anything you want to with my money. If, if we're going shopping with, with mom's money, then mom's going to have a say-so about what's bought. But if you're buying clothes with your money, you can buy anything you want to. But as long as you're living in our house... We have a say about what you wear or not. So if you want to buy something, you can buy it. You can wear it around the house if you want to. You just won't be allowed to leave the house with it. The ability to choose what the child wears is a privilege that can be lost. And if you start planting that seed at an early age, then by the time they hit their preteens and teens, you've got that rule established. And, and they understand that that's just part of the package. That's just part of the parenting style in their home is that, that certain things are privileges and privileges can be lost. And that gives you some leverage when certain clothes are bought that you don't want your teenage daughters going outside the house wearing. You really can't allow the inmates to run the asylum or the monkeys to run the zoo. Uh, a church that, that I uh, used to be an associate pastor of was a much more formal church as far as uh, clothing. And, and being on staff, I had to wear a suit and tie every service. And 
every once in a while, Peg would grab ties for our three sons to, to wear uh, Sunday morning. She would not all the time, not even most of the time, but just occasionally some of the time, once every, I don't know, month or two, she, she'd pull them out. And oh my goodness, you would have thought that we were the worst parents in the world. They just pitched a fit. Their obedience was not instant. <laughs> it was full of complaining. It was full of arguing. They just raised a stink. I mean, it was just, it was all out war. On a Sunday morning, when you're trying to get ready to go to church to worship God. And by the time you get there, that's the last thing you feel like doing. And, and I can't even remember where we came up with this idea, so I'm just going to give Peg credit for it because I'm pretty doggone sure that that's where it came. Um, she just sat the boys down at, at one time, one Saturday night, and said, tomorrow morning, just to warn you, you will be wearing ties. And, hold on, before you say a word about it, if you complain or argue, or do anything but put those ties on and wear them with a smile on your face, I will assume that you need more practice. And so the next Sunday, you will also wear a tie. Well, we, we, we shared that with our uh, worship leader at, at the church, and, and a few months later, she, she got up on Sunday morning to... Uh, lead worship and she almost lost it because she looked down and she, she had noticed that the week before our three boys were wearing ties and the second Sunday in a row, our three boys were wearing ties. <laughs> she only had to do that once that I remember. And after that, they stopped complaining. So they're, they're, don't give up your parenting leverage. You can do it. Now, in talking about getting ready for fun day, fun day is simply described as any day that you are ready to start implementing parenting style changes. Okay. Um, think through the changes and you be the behavioral doctor. You be the, the, the Dr. Lehman and, and just ask yourself and get answers to these questions. Okay. What's the situation that I want to change? What's the here behavior that I want to address? Um, and then what's my responsibility as a parent? What's my child's responsibility? Find out what's their monkey and what's your zoo. Um, ask yourself, well, what's the purpose of their behavior? You know, analyze it. Think about it. Is it power? Is it attention? And think what you're going to need to use to address it. Then ask yourself the question, what would I normally do? And what should the new me do, the different me, the different parenting style me do? Um, as I said yesterday, if you're military, what can you do to back off? If you tend to be more permissive, what can you do to, to, to step up to the plate? And, and then ask yourself this also, how does my child normally act? Is, is this a ongoing um, repetitive behavior with this child? Or is this something that's out of character for this child? Obviously, the repeat offenders, you know, would have a, a stricter discipline, a harsher discipline. 
and, and you'd be a lot lighter with the, the, the one-time offenders. But those are just, uh, again, some more principles that you can think about. Uh, let me just, again, talk about some tools, some of the tools that Peg and I used over the years. First one is, is kind of a fun one. We, we stumbled on this. Oh, gosh, our, our children were good halfway through their, their growing-up age. And, and it's, it, it's called, it's got a funky little title, but it's Lose Your Body Part Tool. Lose Your Body Part Tool. And, it, I mean, first time you explain it, your kids will get it. It's simple to understand. If they misuse a body part, then they just lose the privilege of using that body part. And, and typically, once again, one minute per year of age. Having uh, my three sons, uh, do you think our children would uh, keep their hands to themselves? Pow! No, they, you know, that's how guys show affection. They, we smack each other around. But not acceptable in the family. So, uh, no, no, can't hit your brother. Um, you're going to have to sit down and put your hands in your lap. Fold your hands. You lost use of your hands for however many minutes, however old they were. If they uh, uh, say something they shouldn't, you know, we would have outlawed words in our home. I, I think both Peg and I had these growing up as well. Um, we're not talking swear words because we just never use them in, in our home. Well, we rarely use them in our home. <laughs> I'll be honest on, on that. But uh, the, 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 the banned words on our list were things like dumb, stupid, idiot, uh, it, it was not allowed for our children to talk disrespectful to one of their siblings. Go ahead. I, I, it was at a temperature that I thought my wife might be comfortable. So, so the, that, that was the type of verbiage that was just not allowed in, in our family. And so if they um, said something inappropriate, said something wrong, then um, that's the improper use of your mouth. Uh, you've lost use of your mouth for seven minutes, five minutes, whatever age they were. And, oh, gosh, if that happened during supper time, I would say sorry, but I'm not. Because if they have to sit there with their mouth shut because they lost use of their mouth, that means they can't eat. And that means that they're going to learn the lesson quicker. Um, you're, you're traveling somewhere. And uh, one of the things we did early on was first we bought a minivan. And, and then our children kept growing. And then we, that wasn't big enough, so we got full-size vans wonderful tra for traveling long distances with a lot of children. Um, but even that sometimes wasn't big enough. And so they'd, they'd, you know, they'd be hitting. So the hand goes in the lap. And then there'd be, uh, you know, incorrect uses of words. They lose their mouth. So hands in the lap, mouth shut. They'd look over. 
Little did they realize that I had at least half an eye, if not more, in the rearview mirror watching their behavior while I was driving down the road. Um, I'm sorry, you've now lost use of your face. Put your face in your lap. As a parent, you've got to have one more tool in your tool belt than they've got misbehavior for. As long as you've got some ammunition, then you don't have to get frustrated. You don't have to yell. You don't have to get upset. And if they've got their hand in the lap, mouth shut, and face in their lap, there's not much they can do. Oh, by the way, since you can't see the timer, I'll let you know when the time is up. You know, and so the, the losing the body part tool is, is it, it's so appropriate simply because it, it makes sense. You know, how can they argue with, well, I misuse my hands, so I can't use my hands. I misuse my mouth, so I can't use my, it, 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 it seems fair to the child. They, they can't argue about the, the, the discipline. <clears throat> Now, this can be expanded, the principle, to include non-body parts. For example, if something goes on in a bedroom that is against the, the rules, well, it's not mandatory that the door stays on the bedroom. The child can lose the privilege of having a door to their bedroom. Now, obviously, that would not be just for seven minutes or ten minutes. That, that would be for a longer time period. But I, we never had to do that, but I heard of parents that would do that. And I, I applauded them. Because when you can put a discipline like that into effect, you don't have to hurt the relationship. And, and you can, once again, turn it around and say, why are you making me do this? I'm having to do this because of your actions. I, I don't want to do this. You don't, you don't like the door being off? I don't like it being off either. But you choose whether or not the door stays off and put the responsibility where it is. Okay, the, the next tool is uh, it's called the appeal process. Our children really like this one, particularly our lawyer, and you'll understand why in a minute. The appeal process is just based on the assumption that there will be some time that a parent will make a judgment, uh, hand out a discipline, and you won't have all the necessary information in order to make that decision. And the appeal process is based on that, and it gives the child a chance with respect to appeal a decision. Now, you permissive leaning parents, this is something you're going to really have to work hard on getting right because the, the only way that the appeal process should be allowed to get started is if they ask this question, may I appeal that? That is the proper ask. What you will get, and what we got some, is I want to appeal that. 
Now, you decide whether you're going to give any leniency at all. But if you do, I would recommend no more than the first time. Either zero or the first time. Would you like to rephrase that? Now, this is a hill that I'm willing to die on, and I think it's important because when they are appealing something, they're challenging your decision-making, and it's very easy for them to be challenging your authority. And it needs to start off with the respectful ask, may I appeal that? But let's just say they're past the first few asks, and your child states, I want to appeal that. I'm sorry, you, you didn't say the right phrasing. No, you may not. Or, doggone it. I'd like to give you the chance to, but you didn't ask it right. Why'd you blow it? You know, if you really want to turn around and put it, put it back on them. But assuming that they asked it right, may I appeal that? Then as a parent, your response is simply, what new information do you have for me? That is the key, new information. How many of you have lawyers, young lawyers in your family? Okay, your lawyers will love this. They will want to appeal it. Uh, of our four children, probably our lawyer appealed as much as the other three combined. And it, you, it, you walk a very narrow path with this. May, then you get going. Do you, what new information do you have for me? And you listen to what they say. I would say 98% of the time, I did not hear any new information. They were simply wanting to argue. And you cannot use this as an opening to argue. If, if so, they are disrespecting you, they're disrespecting your authority, and they're challenging your authority. And it, it goes against the principle, say it once, mean it, turn around and walk away. So my response most of the time was, I'm waiting for new information. My lawyer did not like that. <laughs> he did not like to hear that. But he, he had learned that I wasn't going to argue with him. And he had learned that I was waiting for new information. And then I, I could just see him thinking, 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 trying to come up with something new. And the answer is simple. If there's no, 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 no new information, and you can find out pretty quickly if there's new information or not, then no change, no. The, the dis appeal denied. On the very rare occasions that they did come up with new information, most of that time, it really didn't affect my judgment. And even if I had had that information, I probably still would have come up to the same discipline that I'd had. But because they actually did the ask correct and they gave me new information, most of the time, I would try and honor that. And I, I would make some change in the discipline, if not just withdraw it completely. Because I, I, I knew that, one, it was rare that that had happened. And two, 
gosh, my children were going to give me plenty of other opportunities to discipline them. So I, I wasn't worried about losing, you know, with this one. I, w- I wanted to, to, to give him the benefit. And, and so, like I said, a successful appeal happened very rarely. It, it, but it did happen occasionally. And then I would go ahead and uh, honor that if I could. Uh, the next uh, tool is, is, you've already got the name for it, the respect tool. And, and that's just, I, I kind of threw that in there because respect was a huge, huge thing in our family. Anytime there was disrespect, that was a showstopper. If it happened between siblings, stop the circus. No, the, that, that everything just Whatever was going on, stop the motion. Everything stopped. One of the, the ways of this uh, the example that, that I'm going to use is uh, at supper time, particularly as our children got older and they were playing video games or doing whatever they were doing. Um, Peg would be fixing supper and she'd ask me to let the children know that, that supper's ready and, and I'd do that. And, uh, you know, I don't know how much longer it would take us to get supper on the table. And then we'd sit down and we'd wait. And we'd wait. And we'd wait. And we'd wait. And we'd get upset. And then wonder, you know, just waiting for the last child to get there. And and after a while, we just said, no, no, uh uh-uh. No, no. Not acceptable. And, And so, guys, from now on, uh, here's a here's a new rule. When you're told that the supper is ready, when the last one of the four of you has that announced to, uh, whoever's announcing is going to go to the uh, kitchen, set the timer for three minutes. When the timer goes off, you need to be at your seat sitting down. If you are not, when you do come to the... Oh, and, and when the timer goes off the family's going to pray and start eating. And it was already mandatory, their appearance at supper time. They, they couldn't choose not to. Uh, a lot of times our, our children were, were um, they, they were just busy with something else. And so they say, well, I'm not hungry. And we say, that's fine. You don't have to eat. You do have to come to the table. Amazingly, they went ahead and ate when they did get to the table. Uh, But we were big on family meals. If everyone was there or everyone that was there, we ate together. Excuse me, we sat down together. Eating was optional. Sitting down together was not optional. Uh, So so they they knew that they were going to have to come to the table. They are expected to come to the table. Well, if they got there after the timer went off, then they had to stand behind their chair. Oh, we had them set the timer for 10 minutes and they had to stand there waiting to eat while the rest of us ate. And yes, it did happen a handful of times. uh, And that was a long 10 minutes. I didn't even like the length of time that we had decided on. But we left it at 10 minutes. (laughs) And, And because, and we just explained, hey, your mom has worked hard on getting the meal ready for you not to show up to say that playing a video game is more important or whatever else you were doing is more important. No, 
No, that's not acceptable. That's, that's very disrespectful of your mom, and I'm not going to tolerate it. And so um, you choose whatever means you want to, whatever behavior you want to, um, you know, to, to challenge. But if it's disrespectful to either you or your spouse, that, that's worth challenging. Worth challenging. Now, just, just a, a word of, um, I guess, advice. And this work in, in any setting, any uh, age range, and that is if you can give your children a warning, uh, just a time warning, for example, uh, you're having a fun day out at the, the lake, you know, the kids are swimming. And what happens when you say, okay, everybody's time to go? No! Or, or excuse me, maybe your children instantly come out of the water and, and it, yeah, okay. So, but if you can tell them, hey, five minutes from now, we've got to go, we've got to get home, we've got this coming up. Five minutes, we're going to be leaving, just wanted to warn you. Or if I can give them five minutes from now, we're going to be calling you to supper. Give them the more. It makes it easier for them to transition. Nothing wrong with that at all. That's just, that's actually good parenting to do that. However, if you give them a five minute warning, it needs to be five minutes, not 15, not 25, not 35, not two. If you say you're going to set the timer for three minutes, you set the timer for three minutes. And if they don't make it in time, that's their problem. Okay, let me talk a little bit about uh, grounding, and then we'll open up for, for Q&A. Because uh, I'm not a real big proponent on grounding, um, especially if it comes with a, with a snap decision, and, and it, it's, uh, the consequences is, is kind of jumped at very uh, hastily, quickly. And, and the problem with it is this. Uh, grounding, when it's ineffective, typically has a long time period associated with it. And, and <clears throat> so the problem with it works like this. If you ground a child for X number of days, uh, let's say, even say something like, like three days. If you've reached their heart, which is the, the goal of, of parenting, after day one, and their attitudes changed, then you've got two more days of restriction of consequences that, you know, or maybe you've got a lot longer time period uh, of consequences that, you know, if it's, it can affect the relationship. Just ask you to reconsider that. And, and the secondly, and this is more of a problem, if you, you set X number of days and you haven't reached the child's heart and then they have a repeat offense, well, what are you going to do? Add some more days? You know, you, you're just kind of backed into a corner where you, you don't have an effective response to it. <clears throat> and, and so what, what I like better than, than grounding, it's just losing privileges, losing choices, just take something away, uh, and you maybe don't even have to give a certain time limit. 
you know, um, I, I, with that behavior, uh, I'm just going to have to hold on to your cell phone. Well, when can I have it back? Well, when I see a change in attitude. Just put the responsibility on them. Leave it open. Leaves you in control. Leaves you looking for a change. Lets them know what that change needs to be. But at the same time, you can still keep the relationship strong. You can still keep working on on the relationship. Okay, so... uh, I'm going to close up after the Q&A with uh, the top 10 list simply because I know I've covered a lot of material. Um, it could be overwhelming. And, and so I just kind of want to review right before I finish up the top th- 10 things to remember if you don't remember anything else. But before we do that, let me just open it up for questions. Okay. Okay. What what do I have written down? Oh, okay. Locate the feelings. Oh yeah. You, you, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Valid point. I, I skipped over some stuff in my notes there. I, um, <clears throat> in talking about respect. Um, <clears throat> Uh, what we would do if it was a verbal disrespect, you know, they, they were saying something particularly to, um, uh, well, actually it could be to, to anybody, is they were reacting in anger or frustration, some negative emotion. And I'd want for part of the discussion to identify what that emotion was. And, and so... Um, you know, rather than talking in anger to the child or in uh, you're not allowed to act that way and uh, we're not going to stand for that, say, well, what are you feeling? What, 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 what's going on? Help, help me to understand. What, what's, you know, why did you say that? No, 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 come on. Tell me. What, what were you feeling? You know the difference between, between girls and boys. Boys often, they didn't know what they were feeling, had no idea. And so we'd have to do a little digging and, and try and get them to, to dig down. And, well, I was, I was upset. I was frustrated. I, I was, you know, whatever it might be. Oftentimes the feeling is a natural, normal feeling, and the feeling makes sense. And I could validate the feeling and after I validated the feeling, well, I, you know, I can understand that you had been frustrated with what happened at school that day with, you know, whatever might be, you know, something happened at, at school and, and um, you know, they're, they're just reacting to that. So try to identify the feeling, validate the feeling, but then challenge their reaction. They had reacted rather than responded. And, and oftentimes, uh, fill in the blank there is, uh, I'd give a redo. 
and say, what would have been a better way to say that? Sometimes that would be all of the, the, the discipline. I, I consider that more training than the necessary discipline. When it got to the point where it was repetitive and, and, and it's kind of a feeling thing for a parent, you know when they need to you know, lose their body part, lose their mouth, uh, and when they need a teaching uh, time. Um, if it was an attitude of disrespect, that almost always got a consequence just because disrespect was such a, a, a biggie in, um, in our family. Is that fill in the blank in the notes there? Anything else on that, April? Okay. Do you have any thoughts on that, Peg? I'm stalling. <laughs> a, a definition of disrespect, or what would we, how would we define disrespect? Um, I think the basis, you go back to the basis to know your child. And like Larry said, I would study my child. I would study my children. I would actually sit in a chair and just watch them play. And I did that for hours. Um, I would play in the sandbox with them. Um, I spent a lot of time with them. And, and I worked also. But the times that I was there, I was able to study them. And if you study them, if you know your child, you know when they're being disrespectful. You know when they're um, talking off the cuff, or you, you know when they're questioning you. Um, and I think you just have to go with your gut feeling. You have to go, because I, I believe that God puts in your heart as a mother and a father um, that, that gut feeling knowing what is going on with your child. I guess that, that's the best thing that I can say, and that's how a lot of this came out of gut feelings. You know, like, oh, no, no, I know what you're saying, because that's not you. You know, that is not your personality. So that's... Did that give you enough of an answer on that? Okay, uh, one thought uh, that I want to add to that, um, as we take our grandchildren to uh, playgrounds, um, this generation of parents, we see a lot of this, that uh, children are playing on the playground, and mom and dad are... If you're there with your child, be there with your child. Uh, take the time to, to, to be studying them and, and not be um, distracted. Other questions? All right. Um, 
one thought that you can have, a, a fun day preparation thought, is, is this idea. If you've got some parenting tools in mind, you've, you've got a, a, a healthy perspective on what it takes to, to, to be a parent, then you can have this attitude of, you know what, I can't wait for my child to misbehave because I now know what to do. <laughs> Stretching or question? Okay. Okay. Yep. Um, let me just differentiate between changes. You can introduce with whatever frequency any new rules that you want to. Uh, and anytime you introduce a new rule, you have to explain it to the children. And that might be, you know, uh, just one at a time and however long it takes them to, to get that one before you add the next one. But as far as, as parenting attitude changes or parenting perspective changes, you can do as many of those in whatever frequency as long as you are ready to follow through with the changes that you want to institute because those changes are changes that you're making. And those don't need to be announced to the children. Um, but I, I just caution you to, to make sure you've thought through it you understand what you're going to need to do different, how you're going to you know, implement it, and what you're going to do differently, and then then go for it and have fun doing it because it'll be more effective than what you're, you're replacing it with. Okay, so top 10 lists real quickly. you got some fill in the blanks, and then we'll be done for today. Uh, starting at number 10 and going backwards, be 100% consistent in your behavior, if the standard change is due to your energy level, your mood, the time of the month, or your golf score, your children will be confused and they won't know what the standards are at any given time. Uh, if you want things to change, if you want your children's behavior to change, you're going to have to be serious about doing a change. And you must start with you. Fill in the blank there is you. Start with you, and you can produce change in your children. Number nine, always follow through on what you say. No matter what the circumstances, what you say is what you do. Um, be the parent with a backbone. Don't back down. And if you're a military parent, ignore number nine because you're already doing that. But this makes it critically important what you actually do say. And if you're prone to snap judgments, slow down. Bite your tongue and think before you, you speak. Number eight, learn to respond, not to react. Use more actions and less words. Number seven, count to ten part of that slow down process, ask yourself, what would the old self do? What could or should the new self do? And if you're wanting to change long entrenched behavior issues with your children, you're going to have to give them something different to respond to. 
So realize it starts with you. Number six, never threaten your children. Your children will know whether or not you follow through on your threats. I'm not going to take you to the hospital if you break your arm falling off your skateboard. Really? Then who is going to take them? Because they're going to end up there. And, and, and let me just give a word to any parents in here that are very cautious, especially if you have boys, sons in your family. If you are very, very cautious and have a tendency to be overprotective, and I almost even hesitate using that terminology because to you it's not overprotective. It's just being a loving parent. And you might be able to tell this if you and your spouse have wide gap of difference in this area. If you are very protective and you think you might be overprotective and you verbalize that, Here's how you can tell. Check to see if your child is becoming parent deaf. Mommy deaf or daddy deaf, whoever the overprotective one is. Because if, if you are overly cautious, particularly if you have a very active boy, um, they'll just tune you out. And even though it's going to go counter to your personality, you might consider lightening up on a few things and doubling down on a few things on the other end. It's okay to die on a hill that's very serious and very critical, but if you want to die on every hill, it'll just end up being ineffective as a parent. And your children will, will, will tune you out and just stop listening. And, and so it's a delicate balance in there. But if you do decide to back up on some things, I give you full permission to be totally uncomfortable during that experience. But I believe that you'll be more effective as a parent if you do that. Okay, number five, apologize quickly when you get angry. Anger from you is almost always a reaction, not a response. I know 100% of the time it was with me. As I said earlier, you need to learn to control yourself so you can model to your children how you want them to control themselves when they're upset. But when you blow it, apologize quickly. Realize you've probably lost the, the teaching moment for whatever their infraction was. Don't worry about it. Your children will give you another opportunity pretty shortly. And then you can deal with that at that time. But apologize quickly. Your children will forgive you quickly. And their respect for you will ratchet up when you apologize, when you admit that you made a mistake. I don't know about you, but I have a trouble following perfection. And so that's why some of the examples that I've given you were examples of how I didn't do things right as a parent how I used to yell as a, as a parent because I didn't want to come in here as the expert who never makes any parenting mistakes. 
because uh, that's just not reality. And it's very difficult to, if you present yourself as the perfect parent to your child, well, they know better. <laughs> They're not going to believe it. And you really actually you go down in their respect level when you don't apologize when you do something wrong. So apologize quickly when you get angry or when you make any mistake. Number four, don't give any warnings. They're counterproductive. Um, what you're saying is, is, look, there's no consequence so far. Um, so use your actions, not your words. Remember that the consequence can happen later. It doesn't happen, have to happen immediately. It can happen at allowance time if you use allowances for leverage. If you don't do allowances, that's fine. Then simply wait for B to happen or wait for B to want to happen. And if A hasn't happened, then B doesn't happen. So you got leverage. You don't have to give any warnings. Number three, ask yourself, whose problem is this? Remembering once again, that's your child's monkey. Train them at first. Once they get old enough, let them have that responsibility. As much as you can where, it's re- where it makes sense, keep the ball in your child's court. Number two, don't think the misbehavior will go away. Children act the way they do because it helps them to get what they want. Um, but the behavior will not change on its own. Uh, I, I say this quite often, that the things that other parents' children do are cute. The things that your children do are aggravating. That's why as grandparents, uh, oh, it's cute when they do that. Not my responsibility. <laughs> but if, if you've if you got behavioral issues with your children, if they are more here than there, you need to be proactive. You need to be aggressive in training them because they will not change their behavior on their own. And lastly, number one, the most important thing to do with parenting, keep a happy face on even when you want to do something else. Let's the children know that you're in charge. You got it under control. You got one more trick up your sleeve then they've got misbehavior in their, their heart and attitude. And you as the parent can do it and you can come, can come through with flying colors. You have been a great audience. I've appreciated your uh, interest, your enthusiasm, your questions. Um, I'll be around a little bit more if there's any more questions. Any of you that are going to be at Family Life Church tomorrow morning, uh, I'll be there as well. I can talk to you again some more there. But God bless you. Thank you so much. Pastor Jonathan. Awesome. Thank you, Pastor Larry, for your investment into our families and into our parenting. We appreciate it. Um, If you have a church that you normally attend, then obviously feel free to go there. And if you don't have a church that you regularly attend, as Pastor Larry said, he'll be with us tomorrow morning and we would invite you to come and to uh, hear him there. So thank you guys for coming and attending. And I hope that your families will be stronger and your parenting will be stronger. And thanks for making the investment in your family. Have a great rest of your weekend.